If you have a Bible, let's go to Revelation 21. Um, one brother mercifully corrected me. It was not Richard Foster. Uh, Bob, wherever you are, thank you for helping me out. But Richard Loveless was the name I was looking for. So I, I misled you. The Dynamics of Spiritual Life is the name of the book that I mentioned. Loveless, L-O-V-E-L-A-C-E, not Foster. Different Richard. Um, last night I was trying to say that the heart of Jesus is one of rest, gentle and lowly in heart. The one place in all four Gospels Jesus talks about his heart. He, is, he says, I'm gentle and lowly. Come to me for rest. And this morning I was trying to say that um, we find rest. We find the rest that Jesus offers by going to him because of the gospel, not by manipulating our circumstances to get a certain way, though we all have a real hard time believing that. Um, And today I want to look at, this afternoon rather, look at Revelation 21 and... um, Think with you and enjoy with you the final rest that is going to be ours. So with the coming of Christ in the middle of history, he grabbed the rest of heaven and brought it back, brought it down to earth for us. We can, act, we can have it now. But it will not be until we are dead or Jesus comes back that we are going to have it finally and without any of the garbage of living in a fallen world along mixed in with it. And so I just want to think about what will be our final state forever, unendingly, for a few minutes here, because I find when I do that, it it, uh, really helps me relax and live and not be so neurotic and um, anxious. Um, So let's do that. Revelation uh, 21. I do want to start with a few verses from Revelation 14, which I'm not going to say anything more about. I just want to read them and then read from chapter 21 if I could. Um, And let me say thank you for letting me be here with you. This has been a lot of fun for me, not only to reconnect with you, Dan, but to be with all of you, get to know some of you. And uh, so thank you. Revelation 14, verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest. Who? Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image. A few verses later, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Here's the other side who die in the Lord from now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Towards the very end of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Um, are you Lord of the Rings, Presbytery? I mean, I know you're Presbyterians, but what I really want to know is, do you care about Lord of the Rings? Uh, <laughs> Uh, towards the beginning of the third book, um, The Return of the King, uh, Sam, the hobbit, realizes that Gandalf, the good wizard, um, hasn't died after all. And here's what Tolkien writes. But Sam lay back and started with open mouth. And for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf, and then he laughed, and the sound was like music or water in a parched land. It fell upon Sam's ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known. Now, I don't know why, but something happens inside me when I read, is everything sad going to come untrue? I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, but nothing happens inside me when I consider that. But this is equally true. Is everything sad going to come untrue? All of us, wherever we are at, um, Christian, non-Christian, agnostic, skeptic, cynical, wherever you're at, all of us have a profound awareness of two things wired into us. Thing number one, something is off. Something is not right in the world. Um, we're not at rest. There is a haunting brokenness that infects everything we do. And it's not only around us, it's in us. We know that. We, f we feel it. We don't have to watch the 6 o'clock news to know the world is broken and that we are. We know that. Tacitly. Thing number two we all know is that within us lives a memory of when it was right.
a longing. A, it's what gets evoked when we read, is everything sad going to come untrue? There's some inescapable echo inside us, a glimpse of paradise buried way down deep inside us because we're made in God's image. We feel it in our bones and we want it back. My proof that everyone has this longing inside them is that even the most hardened atheist does Netflix. I mean, what is Hollywood? It is a multi-billion dollar industry tapping into that memory of glory, of shalom, when we were at rest, when, th- when things were right. Because we are made in God's image and certain movies, certain songs, certain friendships, certain views of a lake with a sunrise... Uh, I find certain dreams I have, actually, evoke this longing and make me long for this other time and other world. I mean, look at it this way. Why does the passing of time seem strange? You know, we're so used to uh, people, you know, the, the, the older we get, the older men get, the more we, they say, Time's going so fast. I mean, where have the years gone? What, what's, why is this going so quickly? Now, why does that feel strange? If this is all we've ever known and it's normal for us to live 80 years, why does it feel, why is the passing of time strange? Doesn't the answer have to be because we weren't made to wind down? We were made to live forever. To be timeless. That's what we know. Number one, this world is broken, it's disfigured, and we're part of the problem. Number two, we remember a time when the world was fixed and beautiful and clean and at rest. We have a memory of it. Now, the Bible says that those ancient intuitive memories of rest are memories of a a real place, a real plot of land called Eden. And the Bible says that the reason the world feels so deeply, horribly broken is it is broken. It's broken because of what our great-granddaddy Adam did. And the Bible says that what God did about it is he sent his son, his own son, to undo what Adam did. To be broken for us broken sinners so that we broken sinners can be restored to God for free. So the Bible calls Christ the, the second or the last Adam. And we can have that simply by admitting our brokenness, our sinfulness, our rebelliousness, and taking refuge in Christ so that we can have real rest here and now. In other words, that's why I say the rest of the final rest that we are one day going to experience fully has been launched back into the middle of history with Jesus. And one day God is going to bring him back a second time, this last Adam, not disguised but openly. Second half of Revelation 19. You know, his name's written on his thigh. His eyes are, are blazing flames. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. 
not born in some backwoods town in a stable. And he's going to set up Eden again. Eden 2.0. Only this time, there will be two differences with the first rendition of Eden. The first difference is, it will not be a plot of land on the globe, it will be the entire globe. The second difference is, there will be no possibility of it getting ruined again. Adam was supposed to kick the serpent, Satan, out of the garden. And he didn't do it. He listened. He welcomed the serpent in. He was supposed to kick him out. At the very end of the Bible, Revelation 20, that's exactly what the last Adam does. He takes the serpent and throws him, casts him out, the text says, into the lake of fire and sulfur. That's why in between the, very, the bookends of the Bible, in the middle of history, Jesus shows up and he's kicking the, demon, the demons out of people. He's restoring Eden in a sense. I mean, this, this is actually the point of all the miracles. Why did he heal people? We call the miracles supernatural and so on. Well, And that's true. But actually Jesus' miracles were the one natural thing in an unnatural world. People were supposed to be able to walk. They weren't supposed to be lame or blind. He was restoring the world to normalcy. And that's what he will one day do finally. So I just want to ask, what is this final rest then going to be like? And I have five things listed here. I think I'm going to hit four of them, and then uh, we'll be done. This is how I want to conclude the weekend. Okay? Uh, what will our final, our final, final rest be like? from Revelation 21. Number one, our final rest will be on this globe. At the very end of all things, we don't fly up to some floaty, ethereal, ghost-like existence. We don't go up to heaven. At At the very end of things, heaven comes down to us. Verse two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So if, if um, a missile comes hit this, uh, hits this building right now and Jesus comes back next week, next Saturday, we will spend one week in a disembodied, ethereal, kind of spiritual, spirit-like existence. By the way, what I'm saying has nothing to do, I think, with your view of the millennium. This, is, this transcends that, that particular question, okay? So don't worry about that. Um, but the point is this. The after afterlife, the final, final thing, what we will be forever is on this globe. Um, our final rest will be on this globe. Second thing is our final rest will be physical. So now I'm talking not just about this place where we'll be. I mean, I expect there will be a green lake in the new earth. Why wouldn't there be? This is how God made the world. If he's not going to scrap the whole thing and start over, but restore this globe, why would there not be? It's speculative, I suppose. But he's going to restore this world. He's not just going to start over. Uh, Second, our final rest will be physical. So now I'm not just thinking about the globe, but our own bodies. Um, I grew up most, most of my life, I really did think I'd be kind of like an angel. Forever. 
Um, is that kind of the popular evangelical view of things? I don't know. It was what I grew up thinking. Um, and it's implicit, however, all through Revelation 21 and 22, that actually we're going to have bodies. This will be a new heavens and a new earth. Um, it's especially clear in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's really where, it would, where I would go to make this particular one point, where you know Paul calls Jesus, that whole chapter on the resurrection of the body, he calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. And do you realize what that means? Um, I mean, what's a first fruits? First fruits is the first ingathering of one single harvest. In other words, Jesus is the first example. His resurrection body, I mean, he ate fish in John 21 in his resurrection body. He, he was not angelic. He said to Thomas, you know, put your fingers in. A, that's a picture of our future. That's what we, we've been united to Christ. That's the kind of body we're going to be given. There's a theologian named Richard Gaffin, who I think he's done teaching now, but he taught for many years at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And he put it like this, if the Apostle Paul were to walk into a prophecy conference, let's say this was a, you know, a, like a last things conference, and say there was a, a panel, Q&A up here, and we said, all right, Paul, go get on the panel. And someone comes up to a microphone and says, I have a question for you. When is the resurrection of the dead going to be? Richard Gaffin says, Paul's answer would be, it's already begun. Because Jesus was the first fruits. He was the first instance of one harvest. I find that exciting. So in other words, the Greek view, as you know, the, sort of the Greek view of the afterlife is we've got to shed this, this body that's holding us back, which is not doing us any good, and then fly off, you know, kind of Plato and these fly off to um, this disembodied existence forever, and that's really the ideal thing. The Hebrew view and the Christian view of the, of, uh, the afterlife and of the body is not that. It's that God made the body and it's good. And one day he's going to restore us and we're going to have one forever that won't run down and get wrinkled and cancer, but will be glorious. Now you might have, have a question at this point, which is, um, you know, I debated whether I should go here or not, but I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. Um, one of the uh, things that really bothered me um, for a while is uh, that we would have bodies, but that there would not be sex in heaven. There's, there are no women here, so I'm just going to speak frankly, okay? Um, why, that really bothered me because an orgasm is the highest physical pleasure I know of. I assume that's true for you too. Um, how is it if we are? But then I, you know, I read places. You know, Jesus says there will neither be marriage. Uh, you you won't be married nor given in marriage in the new earth. I think, okay, uh, we're going to have bodies, but there's no marriage, so I assume no sex. And um, I think I think the answer to that is uh, right. Because you are going to take marriage. 
you are going to have that in, in the new earth. You are going to have that to which every human marriage all across human history pointed. Did you notice in verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Marriage prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I used to think God, God um, you know, we really came up with the idea of marriage, and then God looked down, and he, in giving us the Bible, he said, oh, I know, there, there's a great illustration for what my salvation is like. Actually, though, that's backwards. God gave us marriage to tell us about what his salvation is like. That's why Paul in Ephesians 5 says, he's talking about husbands and wives and um, a marriage, and he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm actually I'm talking about Christ and the church. So it's like this. Um, my six-year-old Zach, um, actually, let's, let's say my three-year-old Nathan, okay. the highest physical pleasure he knows of is chocolate. How would I, I never would, but how would I possibly describe an orgasm to him? He has no category for it. Guys, we have no category for heaven. It is going to... If I tried to describe to Nathan sexual pleasure, he would only be able to picture it if I'm eating chocolate at the same time. (laughs) He can't picture it without what to him is the highest physical pleasure. But I'm like him. For most of my life, I've thought, I can't picture heaven without that, without sexual pleasure. That's like me. That's like Nathan saying, but unless you have chocolate, why would you ever jump in bed with your wife? You see what I'm getting at? There are going to be pleasures so exquisite, so unspeakably delightful as we are with Christ and orgasm is going to be the last thing on our minds. Praise God for it. It's a good gift. But we are going to be, we are going to be part of the, I don't want to be weird here, but part of the union to which the highest pleasures of this world are echoes and pointers. Our final rests will be physical. Third, Our final rest will be new, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We need a massive, cathartic, deep, cleansing newness. Everything sad will come untrue, and heaven will give that. And if you object at this point, well, um, Dane, uh, that's fine for you to say that, but you don't really know what I've been through. Uh, you don't know the hellish things that were done to me, you might be thinking, um, that have washed into my life unasked for. If you are thinking that, in other words, I know heaven will be great and things will be new, that's fine, but it's going to be tainted a little bit just by memories of the hellish things I went through here. Um, the best answer I've heard to that There's a lot of Lewis in this um, talk here because he helps me more than anyone in thinking about heaven. In The Great Divorce, Lewis has uh, figured George MacDonald, who was an old Scottish writer, um, 
personified in this book. And George MacDonald says this to someone making that objection about the, the future. Son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That's what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, this world, garbage. No future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Isn't that amazing? Heaven will work. God will hit rewind. Romans 8, if we have suffered with him, we will also be glorified with him. The uglinesses will be transformed um, into beauty. Our final rest will be totally new. Fourth and finally, I don't know how to say this really, our final rest will be unspeakably wonderful. You know, Revelation is such a hard book to read. It's very hard to understand. I don't think that's because you know John was smoking something on the island when he was having this vision. It's because it's because he, we don't have linguistic language categories to understand and capture the beauty and the glory, the resplendence of what he was being given a, a vision of. Revelation is expressing the inexpressible. We will finally one day be awake, though. There. We'll be awake. Again, Lewis, he, he says, we'll get there and we will call this world the Shadowlands. Then we will be most solid and alive. Then we'll be, we will be home at the very end of one of the Narnia books, uh, uh, very end of the last Narnia book, Last Battle, um, that C.S. Lewis wrote again. Um, Jewel the Unicorn is coming into final rest. Uh, uh, it's a restored Narnia. And here are the unicorn's words. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. That's what we're going to say, brothers. We will be home. My dad likes to say, we're going to get there and we're going to say, he thought of me. Which raises the question, though, how do we, and it kind of gets back to the sex and chocolate thing, how do we long for heaven if, it, if, it's, if we don't have a category for it? If it's something which we have not yet really at all experienced? Um, you know, how does an infant anticipate steak, a good gift that they're going to love? They just don't have a category for it. It's another dimension. And to answer that, I want to read, and I'm going to close with this. I want to read what I've handed out. Did everyone get one of those? It should say uh, C.S. Lewis transposition at the top. Did it make it all the way to the back? I made 100. I don't know if that was enough or not. But if look on with someone next to you if you don't. Um, I, I only printed it out because it's way too long a quote. I mean, this is bad. Um, Dan, if... If Brian Chappell were here, he would berate me for having such an unwieldy quote. This is our homiletics professor at Covenant Seminary. This is bad, bad strategy. Um, but I, it, it's so good. It's so helpful and puts words to uh, 
how we long for heaven when we don't really have a category for it. So I want you to have it in front of you so you can follow along. I find it helps if I can see it as well as hear it. So um, this is it. I want to close with this. But let me say one thing first. What, what I'm about to read you, what, what our future is. Newness with God on this globe in restored bodies that don't run down. This is for free. The only thing that disqualifies you for this is trying to qualify for it. Um, in the Garden of Eden, Adam looked at God and he said, not your will but mine be done. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam looked at God and said, please take this cup for me, but if not, not my will, but yours be done. So that he can look at you and me and say, not your record, but mine. Credited to your account. The one person, in other words, who ever walked, we're talking about rest. The one person who ever walked the face of the earth who deserved rest was denied it. So that you and I, who don't deserve it, can have it for free. He went to a cross and allowed himself to be put in haste. So that we, who really deserve to be in haste because of our sin, can be calmed and put at rest in a Matthew eleven twenty eight kind of way. So this is for free. Praise God. C.S. Lewis. Let us construct a fable. Picture a woman thrown into a dungeon. There she bears and rears a son. He grows up seeing nothing but the dungeon walls, the straw on the floor, and a little patch of the sky seen through the grating, which is too high up to show anything except sky. This unfortunate woman was an artist. And when they imprisoned her, she managed to bring with her a drawing pad and a box of pencils. As she never loses the hope of deliverance, she's constantly teaching her son about that outer world, which he has never seen. She does it very largely by drawing him pictures. Okay, So here's a woman in a dungeon. She's seen the outside world. Her son has not. She draws him pictures to try to show him what it's like. With her pencil, she attempts to show him what fields, rivers, mountains, cities, and waves on a beach are like. He is a dutiful boy, and he does his best to believe her when she tells him that that outer world is far more interesting and glorious than anything in the dungeon. At times he succeeds. On the whole, he gets on tolerably well, until one day he says something that gives his mother pause. For a minute or two, they are at cross-purposes. Finally, it dawns on her that he has, all these years, lived under a misconception. But, she gasps, you didn't think that the real world was full of lines drawn in lead pencil? What? said the boy. No pencil marks there. And instantly, his whole notion of the outer world becomes a blank. For the lines by which alone he was imagining it, have now been denied of it. He has no idea of that which will exclude and dispense with the lines, 
that of which the lines were merely a transposition. The waving treetops, the light dancing on the stream, the colored three-dimensional realities which are not enclosed in lines, but define their own shapes at every moment with a delicacy and multiplicity which no drawing could ever achieve. The child will get the idea that the real world is somehow less visible than his mother's pictures. In reality, it lacks lines because it is incomparably more visible. So with us, we know not what we shall be, but we may be sure we shall be more, not less, than we were on earth. Our natural experiences, sensory, emotional, imaginative, are only like the drawing. That is really helpful to me. Are only like the drawing, like penciled lines on flat paper. If they vanish in the risen life, they will vanish only as pencil lines from the real landscape. Not as a candle flame that is put out, but as a candle flame which becomes invisible because someone has pulled up the blind, thrown open the shutters, and let in the blaze of the risen sun. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. We long for that day, O Lord. And if there are any here who are not on sure footing with you through the finished work, the finished, totally finished, done work of Jesus Christ on the cross, would you get them there? Would you get them there right now? Grant them the miracle of receiving Christ's record on their behalf. And for the rest of these dear brothers, sustain them in days ahead. All our days sustain us. Give us rest because of what Jesus has done. Make us men who go back home, back to church, back to work, back to the humdrum of life, and some of us, the pain of life, who because of what Jesus has done are radiant. Those who look to him are radiant. Psalm 34. Make our faces shine from the inside whatever is happening on the outside. Give us lives that cannot be explained by the world. Give us lives, supernaturalize us. Give us lives for which the world has no categories. Make us live as if the Holy Spirit really existed. And thank you for your great gospel of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.